Patty, did mm-hmm. I ever tell you about the time I got into business school? What? Business school? Yeah. Elizabeth, just when I feel like I know you so well and we're so very, You'll very never close, know me so well. You're like, <laughs> well, you're like all out of nowhere. You'll be like, oh, guess what? I used to juggle elephants in a traveling circus. And I also fight crime at night because I am Batman. What do you mean... That you went to business school. No, I said I almost went to business school. Well, I okay. got in. Explain. So Explain. this was, let's see, it was maybe five or six years ago. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, I didn't have a career. I had a series of jobs that I hated. And the advice I kept getting at the time was to go back to school, get a master's degree. So I thought, okay, I guess I'll go to business school because it seems like the degree that will give me the most flexibility. Right. Okay. So like what? If you if you study doctor stuff, you become a doctor. You study the law, you're a lawyer. You're pretty locked in. So what? Business school for you was like a way to flex your Miss Marty Pants noggin, but also stay open for any sort of career? I just wanted options. Okay. That makes sense. So I spent maybe a year researching schools, uh-huh. studying for the GMAT. I looked at statistics about salary and job placements after work. And then I applied to one school in LA, and I even went so far as to do my in-person interview. Hey. I basically had total tunnel vision toward achieving this one goal. Basically, it was just all about getting into the most highly ranked business school I could. Okay. And I actually didn't even think about what I would do if I got in. This is where you finish the rest of the story, Elizabeth. What happened? What are you doing? You can't just pause right there. What happened? (laughs) The end. Okay. So um, I remember I had the day off from work and I was taking an afternoon nap. And then my phone rings and it was the dean of the school telling me that they were offering me early admission. So I had gotten exactly what I wanted. And then having Uh achieved that, Uh I was faced with this one question. What next? And I was freaked out because I hadn't thought beyond that one point. Mm. And this question, this what next, is something I think that most of us face at one point or another, whether it's getting a promotion at work or finally sending a project. Mm -hmm. And today's guest, Lincoln Dews, came up with an interesting answer when he faced his what next. Lincoln is a born and raised Australian paddler, surfer, and sailor. And he just so happens to be the 2018 stand-up paddleboard world champion. Lincoln's journey to that is wrapped up with an interesting belief. It's one that may make you say, wait, huh? I believe in chasing unattainable goals. How do we chase that? And why pursue something we'll never hold? Let's dive in, pals. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano, who didn't go to business school. And I am super, super thankful for that because of this right here. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. Tell me about the time when an oversized tiger shark jumped in front of you during a training session. I remember going out down the coast. I would have been maybe 15 k's, middle of nowhere. And turns out it, it is a tiger shark breeding ground. It kind of like, obviously it was like, it was trying to take a fish or something in front of me with yeah. maybe a hundred meters in front. And yeah, I remember watching this thing go smack bang on this poor fish and 
something I've always, I guess, remembered from sailing is like tigers are, they're not the smartest creatures and they kind of, they have this habit of hitting the boat. So if they're not sure what the boat is, they'll, they'll come up and you'll hear them on the bottom of the boat just go bang into it and go, oh, okay, I can't eat that. I'll swim away. But that right. was my biggest fear. I thought, I remember turning around then I just went straight home. But the whole time, like the rest of the paddle, like the rest of the, yeah, the next hour is just waiting for this thing to come up and just, just have a look. So you're just out there doing a training session and all of a sudden you stumble upon this like getting it on zone for tiger sharks, which, oh, by the way, are kind of dumb and like to bang into things to see if they can eat. And all you're at, what, you're on like a 10 foot? No, it was like, it's like an 18 foot paddleboard. So it is big. It is, it is big. Um, it's made for open ocean crossings, but, um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting (laughs) experience. (laughs) Terrifying. That is terrifying. In saying that, like, it's obviously like I didn't, I didn't get attacked. It wasn't like that close, but it was one of those moments. I was like, oh my God, like you feel very, very vulnerable. You feel very exposed. You're like, well, I'm, I'm here. There's literally, if it decides to, to come and get me, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do. So, um, it was kind of weird. It was like, kind of like freaked. And then it got super calm because I was just like, well, what, (laughs) what, I can't do anything except just paddle home. I bet it turned out to be an actually like really great paddle session because then what you probably hightailed it away and then paddled your friggin' ass off. Oh, I was, fl- oh, I was flying home, mate. That was, um, <laughs> I was the best motivation ever, right? Lincoln comes from four generations of Queensland, Australia watermen, commercial fishermen, sailors, and surfers. He grew up surfing, sailing, swimming, lifeguarding. He's essentially one evolutionary step away from being a flippin' merman. Lincoln was first exposed to stand-up paddling when he was a teenager, and he was immediately into it. You could even say he took to it like a fish to water. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. My dad actually had a stand-up paddleboard for a while there, back when it was like kind of first a thing. And I remember bringing home and be like, what the heck is that? And stand-up was just kind of this challenge. And like, I saw him doing like, oh, it can't be that hard, right? And like being a surfer, et cetera, when the waves are so small, it just became this challenge. Like you can paddle around, you could go fish off it, like you could catch waves. And it was just this, like almost like the novelty of something completely new and We've got this big festival up at Noosa Heads called the, it's called the Noosa um, Festival of Surfing. It's been around for years and it's basically just this massive festival that kind of celebrates surfing and water culture. And I remember I was mm-hmm. up there volunteering as a, so you do volunteer hours as a, in the surf club on the beach. And I remember um, all these guys started coming down, these big men were coming down with um, these massively oversized stand-up paddle boards. And I'm what the heck is this? Turns out it was like, probably one of the world's first races outside of Hawaii. Basically what they do is they used to race in and out of the surf, right? So yeah. imagine summer's day, Noosa, like sun shining, there's waves, there's people everywhere. And going, oh, I could do this. This looks like fun. That day was, was addictive because I remember borrowing a paddleboard, jumping in the race. And I think the le- the challenge of it, like you were – suddenly you're standing on this piece of foam that's 12 foot long, which is so much bigger than any right. other surfboard. It was just a unique challenge. And the guys around me were incredibly competent, well-known surfers, watermen, what have you. And these guys are the guys falling off and wiping out and 
getting their getting their ass handed to them in like two foot waves. Suddenly, everybody, we're all back to the start. And as a kid before that, when I used to get good at something or remotely good at something, I'd without realizing I'd get bored and trying to find something else. And this just be, kind of became that challenge where it's like, all right, like none of us can do this. Like, geez, this is actually super tricky. I've always been the kid that kind of played 400 different sports and right. I could never really figure out why, but I think I have a really short attention span with things. And I really, I almost love the challenge of learning something or trying to trying to surprise myself and how, how I can develop skills. And I think stand-up yeah. for me was, was an interesting one. At 14, Lincoln won the Queensland State Ironman title. Yes, he won a grueling triathlon at a stage when most of us are getting Cheetos stuck in our braces and avoiding eye contact when our voices crack. And winning that state title in Australia is like coming home from the Junior Olympics with a gold medal. It is a big deal. That win gave Lincoln so much confidence that that same year, 2012, he set his sights on the Molokai to Oahu race. That's right, paddling from Molokai to Oahu as fast as you can. That's 32 miles on the open ocean. Lincoln convinced his dad that they should compete as a paddleboarding relay team. We trained for it, but not nowhere near enough. And it takes anywhere from four hours up to eight hours, depending on the conditions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, I think, one of the most brutal ocean endurance tests on the planet just because of how rough it can get out there. There's so much that can go wrong. Was it like a fun time or were you like surprised at how hard it was? Was it like a total beatdown? That's a funny one. So as a relay dad, dad's whole thing was, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to finish. We're just going to, we're just going to get across the channel and you have an escort boat with you and you can change over uh-huh. whenever you want to change. Okay. Half an hour, 20 minutes and you change over and it's pretty taxing by the time you jump in the ocean, the boat picks you up, you get on the board, you don't get a lot of kind of rest time. And I remember going so hard from the start and I remember we've come up and <laughs> By the time dad's got on, he's got on, he's kind of dropped back a bit, he's hung in, best he could, and I get on and go. And this kind of happened for the first maybe two hours. And then Uh I just just hit a wall. Like I remember just like just collapsing on the boat this one time, just but I just can't. (laughs) I'm done. Like this is this is not fun anymore. (laughs) Like, wow, this is actually a this This is is really hard. Yeah, this is actually a long way. The novelty kind of wore off pretty quick. (laughs) This shiny new thing, you're like, this actually kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everyone sold this as some grand some grand journey. This is yeah, this that was the moment. All right, this this is actually painful. But um yeah, dad to his credit, he stuck in and he carried me through from then on and that's one of probably my best ever memories in the ocean is just being able to share it with him and being able to go. It was so cool. And for me, that moment too was very much like, all right, I finished. Like, I want to do it solo now. What's the next? Like, it was not that, oh, we've done it. That's so cool. In my own head, it was very much like, I want, I can prove I can do it. I know what it's about. Even even after the beatdown, you were like, oh man, I got to do it. I got to do it by myself now. It's one of those sports, it's like, it's very much like a hindsight thing. It's like at the moment, yeah. you're like, this is the worst thing ever. I need to play golf or something else. But when you finish it, it's like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad, was it? 
Like a lot of us in the outdoor community, Lincoln really loves the three types of fun. Type one, this thing is super fun. Type two, this thing sounds like it's going to be fun, but it isn't fun. But afterwards, it's fun to talk about. Type three, everything about this sucks. The before, during, most of the after, until somehow, with enough time, it gets fun to talk about. For Lincoln, the Molokai to Oahu race was type three. In 2013, one year after the relay with his dad, and after dedicating himself to actually training, Lincoln competed in the Molokai to Oahu race as a solo paddler. Looking back now and like kind of sit there sometimes and go, I did what? I did Molokai and I was like that tall. Like it was, it was a weird feeling yeah. now in hindsight. What was dad thinking? But at the time I was, I guess I was very much driven to do it. To finish it like that year was, was pretty cool. Lincoln came in third in his division and 18th overall. Molokai to Oahu is considered the most difficult mental and physical open ocean paddle race on earth. Just finishing is an accomplishment. So Lincoln's result is bonkers. This moment, this shocking achievement at 15 years old, started to shape Lincoln's competitive edge and define what he was after when racing. To do a five-hour race like that in the middle of the ocean, literally there is so many different things that need to come together to have a good race. And that's what you start chasing almost. You start trying to chase that perfect crossing. There is so many different elements, whether it be logistics with the start, with your equipment, surfing swells, making your nutrition, your hydration's right, making sure your training's right, being able to surf and get across the channel, like get across a body of water as efficiently as possible. And there's so many elements that go into it. Mm -hmm. It's addictive because it is such a, such a big challenge. Looking for another challenge, Lincoln competed in the stand-up paddling, or SUP, Pro Tour in 2015. And at the end of his first full season, he finished in the top 20 in world rankings. It felt incredible. And that was that first year. I was still, I was doing the stand-up tour, but I was very much still racing a lot of other disciplines and doing a lot of other things. And I think as an athlete, it was good. But it was also frustrating because I knew there was guys in the top 10 that year that could actually, I could beat. But because I wasn't consistent enough, I'd kind of go up the rankings and I'd come down and go up and come down. And that was, yeah. yeah, And that was, that was, I guess, where the the penny dropped per se. And I was like, all right, now bugger this. Like, I want to have one full crack at this and try and see how far I can really push it. I was always a jack of all trades, master of none. And that was something that kind of frustrated me a little bit. Going, no, like I'm sick of getting thirds and fourths. I actually want to want to win an event. To win the world title or the world tour, you have to be so good on so many different conditions, whether it's in the canals in Europe or open ocean Hawaii or in the surf in California. You have to be so good in so many different conditions. And for me, that's that's the ultimate, like to be the best is you have to be the best across all conditions. And that's where I guess 2016, 2017 was a big shift for me. Instead of going, I'm going to try and do everything at once. I almost want to go, all right, I want to focus in on on that challenge and then complete that challenge and then look for another challenge. I want to get my own race 
better and I want to chase a race that I finish and go, well, that was literally, that was the best performance I could have put on the water. So Lincoln set a new goal to solely focus on stand-up paddling and give the world tour all his attention. He ate chocolate cake, sat on the couch and waited for the achievement to show up at his front door. Just kidding. He trained his effing ass off. Lincoln paddled in the open ocean for several hours multiple times a week, and he often did interval sprint training till exhaustion. I think it was three 20-minute efforts, three 10-minute efforts, five five 5-minute efforts, and five 1-minute efforts. And I was lucky enough to have one of my really, really good friends, Kenny Kaneko, who's a professional stand-up paddler from Japan, was over here training with me. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was this one one Saturday morning session. It was bitterly cold. It was in our summer here, so it was pissing down rain all night, all morning. And it was like for the entire time we just went like stroke for stroke, just trying to – and like that was, I guess, the best thing about when we trained together. We just hammer at each other until someone breaks. And it was one of those days, it would have been a month before the first big race of the year, and it was like we're right in the middle of training just – Two and a half hours of us just literally going stroke for stroke up this river that's, there's nothing special about the river. It's just mangroves and it just sucked. That sole thing that kind of kept me going was that the fact that I wasn't going to let Kenny beat me. I wasn't going to let, I wasn't going to let him (laughs) get the best of me. And and that entire way up and back, we're like, oh, Every like every rest effort. Oh yeah, no, I'm feeling good, feeling feeling fine. How are you feeling? I yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel great. I could do this all day. Yeah, yeah. And it was just this <laughs> mental, this mental torment in the pissing, in the rain, and like yeah, it was yeah, it was the one session that kind of looking back, that was probably one of the sessions that shaped my year. In 2018, Lincoln was hoping to break into the top ten of world rankings, maybe scratch the top five, but. Headed into the Pacific Paddle Games, the final stop on the stand-up world tour, Lincoln had a mathematical, albeit slim, chance to win the world title. The SUP World Tour works on a point system. Paddlers receive points for their placement after every race. At the end of the tour, the athlete with the most points wins. Lincoln had to win the Pacific Paddle Games, and Michael Booth, the points leader, had to finish fourth or worse. I remember coming through the chute and kind of looking at everybody. What a race! Nobody wanted to say to say we'd run it in case they got it wrong. So we kind of was like looking at everyone. Or did I get it? I'm not going to say a word right now, but provisionally, I think Lincoln holds on. Well, they're too far back. What? What's it going? Everyone was down on their phones trying to do the calculations. Lincoln did win the Pacific Paddle Games. Which clinched him the world title. Yeah, I found out on that beach maybe four minutes, four or five minutes after he finished, which is pretty special. It didn't really sink in for a long, long time. And like, it's taken a long time for me to associate those words with me, if that makes sense. Does it feel kind of surreal almost? Yeah, it's something I still don't really kind of, I struggle comprehending in a way. I was ecstatic to win the event, but 
there was just so much going on that it was very, very hard to kind of take it all in. And I was very much in denial, I think. Coming up after the break, the unexpected thing Lincoln did to get past his denial. After being solely focused on the world tour and winning the world title, Lincoln didn't feel like he thought he would. I went home and it wasn't, it wasn't say I was moping around or depressed or whatever, but I was very much kind of felt really empty. Like I had no, no goals, no, nothing to motivate me to go training, nothing to motivate me to go, all right, like I want this. Yeah. And I think the reason I was chasing something was not to get it. The reason I was chasing it was because I just love that journey and I love that chase of perfection in a way. How long after winning the world title did you start feeling like that? Well, now what? It was almost almost straight after, which is like strange, but I I just kind of felt like once I'd done it, there was no drive to to continue to do it. For me, I just felt like a little bit like that chapter kind of closed and like I was kind of searching for for something else and another kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. This feeling isn't an anomaly. A lot of world-class athletes have said that once they finally achieve their goal, once they became the very best, a now what the hell do I do attitude sinks in. There's even a thing called post-Olympic depression. Swimming star Alison Schmidt won five medals at the 2012 Games in London, three of them gold, and she even set a new world record. But when she got home... Schmidt says she sunk into a dark depression. Lincoln pulled out of races following his world title win. He says he didn't feel depressed, but he was aimless and unmotivated. He needed something else, and he needed time away from paddling to figure out what that was. Did you feel like you learned more from the pursuit of the thing rather than the catching of the thing? Yeah, and and that was something that I only realized kind of after I'd won it that was like I want to be I want to be more than a stand-up paddler, I want to be a waterman. I don't want like using that word, but I want to be the best I can be across all these disciplines. The chase of perfection is what is what drives me and is what what kind of makes me get up in the morning at 4 a.m. when it's cold and it's wet and nobody wants to be awake in training. And that's that's something that's really kind of defined my life, I think, so far, is that, like, I literally and purely love the chase of perfection, if that makes sense. Like, I really love chasing those moments when you're, when you're alone and you're scared in the middle of the ocean, what have you, and it's you kind of find, like, what what's possible and what you can do and you can once you get past those points in hindsight you surprise yourself in what's possible does it challenge your determination does it challenge your perseverance does it challenge that voice inside your head that says no stay inside go back to bed don't go training yeah and i think that that challenge that challenge of that voice is what what i love and that being able to chase perfection is only possible if you challenge that voice of reason. And by challenging that voice, I'm able to kind of challenge and try and chase perfection and chase that kind of moment, those moments that I live for. Because 
in the end, I think the moments and the like athletic success achievement are very, very short lasting emotions. My vision of what I want to achieve on the water is doing something so perfectly that it's it kind of redefines what what I think is possible. I guess there's two moments that kind of stand out for me that are like the perfect things on the water. Yeah. The first is purely like the absolute buzz of driving downhill fast. So driving down big when the like when the wind's behind you and the swells are like lining up on an absolute like you get these kind of angles when they're almost like big teepees and it is like it's almost like you feel like you're literally skiing downhill whereas you're just you're connecting one big swell to the other to another to another and that moment particularly that moment when you're like on a boat or on a board where where it's planing and and the board board of the boat doesn't feel like it's stuck to the water you're going faster than your swells and you are it's like you're surfing and you may not be able to see land or you're doing it literally in the middle of the ocean. And then that moment of being like, oh, my God, I'm out here by myself surfing waves that people don't even see, don't even know, and I'm out here just because of that that adrenaline rush. Yeah, for me, that's addictive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that for some reason I love, I love getting smashed like by waves. Like I love that feeling of like hopelessness. Like when you wipe out under a big wave, <laughs> it's scary as shit. Really? It's like you, once you survive a big wipeout, it's like better than riding a wave. Like once you survive a big wipeout, you come up and you're, oh my God, like I, I survived that thing. Like you feel, you feel invincible. That is so hilarious. You're like, oh man, you know what I love? You know what the perfect day is? It's like flying with the wind totally beautifully. And then if just like a huge wave out of nowhere comes and just crushes you and you think you're going to drown, man, that's the perfect day. (laughs) (laughs) Bit unusual, bit unusual. But yeah, they're they're probably the two points. They're the two things that are like, all right, like they're pretty freaking sick. What I love about being in the ocean is that it is so versatile and one day it'll be flat and calm and sunny and the next day it'll be wild and miserable. And that, for me, the perfect day on the water is is the day that I get to scare myself, I get to surprise myself and I get to kind of challenge challenge myself in a way, whether it's a like a miserable day sailing or a yacht racing or you're going through a storm or it's you're scaring yourself on a, on a massive wave or you're you're having to duck dive or swim under a huge wave at a beach and going, oh, my God, like I'm going to get pounded. And for me, that's what I find more addicting than being on the water just because it's a, it's a challenge of the versatility. My now belief in what is possible is probably a lot greater in that kind of my understanding that, all right, like I've just achieved something like world champ, being a world champion, that's something I thought was never possible, but now – Jesus, if I can achieve that, what else can I achieve? What can I achieve going past that point? And that's like, for me, that's super exciting. I mean, does it show up like in your love life? Like, are you chasing after the unattainable girl, the unattainable, you know? Um, yeah. Describe that. How is chasing the unattainable showing up in your love life? I would love to hear about that. 
<laughs> the other day to my love life, Jesus. Um, <laughs> probably not much. I'm probably a bit more, bit better at it in my professional life, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the failing miserably part's probably probably a bit more applicable in the uh, in the love life. But um, yeah. I get you there. I totally get you there. It seems like easier to have the professional goals and then in the love life goals, you're just like, man, it is unattainable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no other way around it, my friend. You know, I, I've set out on, on big adventures in my life, right? Especially ones where I've known... They're just going to be super tough or mostly like suck for all of it. Like, like that real type two fun, you know, like a long skin and climb in the back country or days of hiking and just like ungodly heat, you know, the super long runs. And, and prior to leaving for these adventures, I've told myself, okay, just find the fun, just find the fun, just find the fun. I think what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to look for the, the good moments, the happy moments, the moments that bring a smile to my face between those really hard beatdown moments. Is this what you're doing with your pursuit of the unattainable? Yeah, definitely. And I think the moments of good and the moments of fun that are hidden within like expeditions and challenges that are, that are so miserable are like, they're the best moments, right? Like they're the times that like when you're pushing through a miserable day on the water, or when it's, it's a storm and it sucks, but the moments of good within that are like, they're almost even better. It almost like polarizes like the miserable absolutely sucks, but like the highs in between those miserable parts are even better. And there's something about those moments that like, like the good within the, the shittest of situations are like, they're the best. What can we learn about ourselves from chasing the unattainable? I think for me, like find like chasing unattainable goals is really really forced me to step outside of that comfort zone and step outside from all those those barriers I've put on myself and be able to see literally as as cliche as it sounds like almost anything is actually possible you've just got to want it enough to chase it and for me that that was from my experience that's that's the biggest thing I've kind of learned is like that confidence to step outside that that safety net and chase something even if I fall, even even if I fail, like that confidence of taking a step forward, I'm always going to be better off for it rather than kind of sitting behind in that kind of, in that fear of what if. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Lincoln Dews. And to learn more about what he's doing, go ahead and check out his Instagram, at Lincoln Dews. If you like today's show, then belt out your love from the mountaintops. You know, Safety Third is kind of like being in a hot tub. It's a little lonely by yourself. It's a little weird with just one other person. But you cram a bunch of folks in there until the water overflows. Well, pals, you got yourself a sudsy fun time. 
Hey, whose leg is that? Oh, <laughs> who cares? Tell your friends and fam about the show, and if you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Cordelia Zar has edited this episode. Additional production help from Tom Johnson. Music by my big brother, Brendan. I'd rather get punched in the ear than drink Folgers O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. Thank you.